0: This is the Auto Body Podcast, presented by Clarity Code. We'll get stories and talk to people from all over the industry. Painters, body guys, manufacturers, and anybody in between. Let's do it. Welcome to the Auto Body Podcast. Auto Body Podcast. Presented by Clarity Code. Now, here's your host, Adam Huber.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Dave Reese on from Barwell, England. Uh, Dave is the founder of School of Thought, or at School of Thought, sorry. Uh, I'm guessing it's based in England. And uh, I'm really excited to learn about a little bit about Dave and about this whole um, idea that he has going, the school that he has going, because he claims himself as a futurist. So, Dave, how are you doing today? You've, you've checked my LinkedIn profile, haven't you? <laughs> yep. I mean, it's it's public, so it's there.
2: <laughs> That's right, yeah. Well, I, I'll i tell you the story of that one. I, I went to a, a conference at Nürburgring some years ago, and there was a gentleman on there that said he was a futurist, and I always thought I'd really like to have that title. So um, so now we've got School of Thought, and we're, we're looking to, um, for the, into the future of uh, of young people coming into the industry, I sort of took it, basically. Um, nice. that, so, yeah, now I can I can honestly say that everything I do is is for the future of the industry.
1: Very nice. So uh, <clears throat> and when you refer to yourself as being a futurist or someone assigns yeah. themselves the title of a futurist, is it someone that is more concerned about the future of a particular industry than they are about the present or past state or anything like that? Is that a fair...? Yeah. It, it, it's fair
2: to say that. I mean, I, I've been in the industry for 56 years. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen the history. I've seen the evolution. Um, I, I understand the the problems that the in, the operating problems that the industry's got today. Um, but my, my pure focus now, um, I'm 71 years age. So my pure focus now is on the future. It's keeping the industry healthy for the future and trying to address probably the biggest long term problem it's got. And that's people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, if I may say so myself, you look great for 71. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll do another one of these now. <laughs> Perfect. I'll I'll make sure to wire the money later. <laughs> uh, so all right. So let's let's go back to young Dave. Um, that's typically how we kind of start these things off. I want to know what was young Dave into. Were you kind of always into cars? And I swear, if you say that your parents didn't have a vehicle. <laughs> or something like that. the last three guests that, or last two guests that we've had on they're like I actually my parents didn't even have vehicles until I was like 16 I'm gonna freak out because it's just we've never want, had that before do you want to freak out then my father never drove, a car. <laughs> never
2: drove a car my mother didn't drive a car I was the first person in that side of the family that had a car uh, the only person that had a, a vehicle with wheels was my uncle and
1: he was into motorbikes Man, so that is so go. crazy 4 out of 4. There you go. That is so crazy <laughs> because it, it must just be so pr- obviously Dave is you can probably guess most of our listener base is in the US and
0: yeah.
1: It is just a ridiculous notion for anybody I would say the, the the percentage of people that could say the same exact thing as the last 3 guests have said is so absurdly small in the United States because you have to drive everywhere. Like yep. um you don't really have an opportunity but the last gal that we had on um was uh Rachel and she's from Ireland she said the yeah. exact same thing um and then we had another guy on from England i'm, I'm blanking on the name mike mike um Monroe, i think uh-huh. is his last name <clears> throat> um, throat> Mike Monaghan? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he said the same exact thing, and now you're on saying the exact same thing. So that's great. Why do you think that is, just out of curiosity?
2: I think it's a generation thing. I mean, when, you know, I'm I'm a child of the 50s, so, um, you know, my, my parents were uh, sort of around during the war, and and I think coming out into the 50s, there was less and less vehicles on the road in the UK. Um, you know, the, the, the working-class man... Um, generally work close to it close to home my father went to work on a bicycle you know he worked in a car factory but he went to work on a bicycle so when when he 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 didn't have a vehicle he didn't have the money to buy a car yeah. so there was other methods of transport public transport was a lot better then you know you could get around um and it wasn't something that was high on the agenda when we went on vacation we went on the train you know we we, we basically piled the family into a train and, and went off on vacation so it wasn't a priority there was there was a few people few of our family friends that had cars but but it, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't as today where everybody needs a car uh, everybody expects to have a car i think it's generational i think you know the older the generation the more people you would get that give you the same answer up adam
1: yeah i would i would agree with that for sure um yeah. It's hard to it's hard to remember that you're 71 because you just feel <laughs> like I'm talking to someone who's 55.
2: <laughs> with a, uh, with, a good, with a good memory,
1: there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, talk to me a little bit about. Um, so you're growing up. Are you are you interested in cars when you're a teenager nope. then? Or? Nope, not at all.
2: Not 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 even at all. I mean, my my interest in cars started when I was 14. Um, I I went on a day visit to a college, uh, a further education in the UK. And I wasn't the brightest, uh, the brightest student. I I wasn't particularly academic. So I went uh, and had a look at the trades, as we call them, you know, the, you know, the building, plumbing, carpentry. Um, And I walked into the um, automotive workshop and the smell got me, you know, it was like, this is the one I want to do. And that that was it. And then... um, I came away from there the school got me two interviews with with local garages um and and at 15 July the 7th 1967 I started work in a garage as a trainee mechanic
1: very nice okay so <coughs> what made you switch from mechanic work over to paint and body work
2: that came later on um that came I mean I've 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 transitioned through a lot of jobs during my career um but I had a I had a um, a target that when I was 30, I didn't want to be a technician. Oh, I didn't want to be on the shop floor anymore. I wanted to progress. So I moved through dealerships, through parts departments, you know, through fleet departments. And um, probably about 35 years ago, I got the opportunity to work for a distributor of paint and materials in the UK who had an auto finish uh, department um, and dropped into that. So that's how I, I started in in the body repair industry um and then uh, that that went on for a little while and then in uh, 1999 um I joined Ford Motor Company on the on their uh, body and paint program in the UK and I was on that for 21 years so ended up ended up running the whole uh, you know the whole network in the UK um traveling abroad setting up uh, a couple of programs body shop quality care for Ford ford service excellence um and that was that yeah that was it really you know sort of dropped into
1: it as the next progression in in a career path really interesting very interesting so you were on the sales side from um, a b2b standpoint and then you were on kind of like the oem side of things yeah overseeing yeah. what ford would qualify as good repairs bad repairs or how what what did that look like that
2: was, it was managing basically it was it, it was developing with dependent you've got in the UK, you've got the FCCN program for Ford over there. Um, we had the, the we we had the Ford Accident repair network over here. We've just introduced the FCCN model here. Um, but the Ford Accident repair network was about um, primarily developing standards, making sure that shops were working to a, a standard. We didn't have a British standard at that time. Uh, working to our standard um making sure the training was up to date making sure they got the right equipment making sure the customer service was uh, you know was right um and we did that with a a major program um which was Body shop upgrade um and that was 15 days consultancy where we went into businesses stripped them back to the bare metal and and started again and made them efficient and and, and profitable um and the, and made sure that the customer service levels were great so yeah it was a major major problem and that ran that ran right up until probably 2020 um so we did that for a lot of years um and grew the network uh, i think that was the major the major so um so yeah that was uh, that, that was what we did so that was my uh, and then became a sort of a, an expert in in body shop processes which mm. is uh, which is the another progression
1: and that took me all over the world so were these shops ones that wanted to sign up for these kinds of things like they wanted to progress and be better or was some of them had to You kind of had to drag them into it kicking and screaming
2: <laughs> oh some of them some of them were very resistant um, to change uh, absolutely um the program was a mandatory program for ford over here so you know if you wanted to be a ford accident repair center you had to through the program um but there was a ford were really really great they it was it was a cost to the to the the repairer but it was um but it was basically um a money-back guarantee so if we didn't put the the amount of profit on their business by doing the program we gave them their money back and over the 20 years we did it we never gave anybody a penny so wow. we did a good job <laughs> so, yeah
1: that's great yeah what what were some of the things that you saw Roughly, what time period are we talking about here? Are we talking about like seventies, eighties? Yeah, no, we're talking we're talking from the year two thousand. So we, you know, Um, we're not talking my way way back. We're talking from
2: two thousand to two thousand to two thousand and eighteen. That that was the time frame. Um,
1: so that that was that was where we were, you know, that's where we were proactive, so to speak. And what were some of the processes that you were seeing that these shops needed the most help with, like across the board? What were some of the top three things that Shops were it, really inefficient at and really needed help fixing. Predominantly production management.
2: You know they were pretty good at 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 the the front end, the, the service advisor. You know handling the customers, um, but generally pretty pretty poor at at um at the production side of it. You know very very inefficient. Um, and, we, and what was
1: what were they inefficient at? Like as an example of, uh, was it parts ordering? where car would come in and you know they would only order what was nece- or what they thought was necessary at the time and then car they'd get halfway into the car and they'd be like oh shit like we forgot these things and then
2: yeah that was a common that was a common theme the common theme of of damage assessors um was because at that time uh, the repairers were extremely busy and and the pressure on the vehicle damage assessors was to was volume so they were looking at, you know, between fifteen and twenty assessments a day. So you can't do accurate assessments if you're doing fifteen or twenty a day. Yeah. So they were that they were basically skimming. They were they were missing missing you know key items. There was no there was no there was no strip to strip to investigate at that time. It was just do the assessment and then um, but the big one was that when the technicians were stripping the vehicle down, they were just stripping it down, putting all the parts in a basket and, and waiting till the end to put it back together again. And then you get the missing items that, that didn't get picked up. So we had to change, we had to change a lot of that. Um, that was a common one. The other common one was um, looking at booth efficiency. You know, we 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 did booth checks. We we did time and motion studies on on people moving around the shop. We did, you know, where was where were the welders positioned against the guys that needed them? Where were the special tools positioned? It was a massive, massive program. Um, and we take the booth, for instance. We we did, blimey, we did two hundred shops, and it was very consistent that forty percent of the time the booth was either empty or wasn't being used to spray anything in. Wow you know so again if you're looking at today how many how many you know how much money you spent now warming booths up so you know that's that you know you fire those you fire those burners up and they're burning your fuel whereas we keep them at a constant temperature and and my 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 emphasis is if i've got a painter i want him to paint you know i don't want him to stand around then you you have to be super super efficient so that was part you know the efficiency of the shop was uh, was really really uh, interesting but as soon as we put the processes in as soon as we put things in like stage check quality to make sure that everybody checked their own quality and it and we got to the end of the line and the vehicle was great to sign off everybody became more efficient you know and and, and that was and, and the the process was speeded up so we got more volume through more cars through less less corrections you know, less less rectification, because you know as well as I do. As soon as you get rectification on a car at the end of the line, you've wiped your profit out on that job pretty well. You know, it has to go back through the pro- back through the process again. So so yeah, that was that was pretty pretty well. The, you know, the, the hub of it was um, was that production piece, and then being a vehicle manufacturer, it, a little bit was look and style, making sure that the customer experience. You know, make sure they had a, a, a nice area, a nice reception area, a nice waiting area. They had so that was the the, we call those the fluffy bits, you know, the little bits of customer service. The the real heavy stuff was sitting behind it, was the uh, you know, which was that um, that that production management, which which shops were predominantly not very good
1: at. You know, um, this is really interesting that we're talking about this today. I read a book, or I am reading a book right now, um, very famous book um, over here, but I'm pretty sure it's probably. Pretty well known uh-huh. over there as well. Rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. Um, and there was the chapter that I'm on right now. Uh, is it Steve? I think it's um, uh, is his name? Uh, I no, it's guy. Um, guy, isn't it? Um, anyways, it doesn't really matter. Uh, people know who I'm talking about. I'm at the chapter where he is talking about where if you really want to become rich, you need to diversify yourself into. Um, two different types of education the example that he uses is the um, writer who writes for a newspaper but then he advises her that she should go and learn how to do sales at the same time she should have have a sales job and she's extremely resistant to it and blah 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 blah. well what you're talking about reminds me of this other piece that he said in there which was he was talking to a class and he asked the class do you guys think that you could cook a better burger than McDonald's? Everybody raises their hand and says yes. And he's like, so then why don't you have a billion dollar empire? <laughs> yeah. He said, because in the point <clears throat> that he was driving across was the fact that you can probably cook a better burger than McDonald's. But what McDonald's does better than you is processes and procedures. Yep. They can they can replicate so much faster than you can Um, mm-hmm. a workforce, which means that they make more money and they can keep consistently good quality across the board than you could ever dream of and what is so fascinating to me is it doesn't really matter there's not a lot of businesses out there that this does not qualify for but you might be good at this thing you might have a great product you might um you might have such and such that's so much better than a competitor but if you don't if you have a messy back end um your admin is messy your sales is messy your product ordering is messy all these things if these things are messy, or in the, in the case of a body shop, if your production is messy, meaning it's not streamlined, it's not there's not a process and procedure in yep. place. You're you might be the best body shop there, but you suck because you can't get all these other things a duck in a row. And what's so interesting yep. to me is that a lot of these guys get so annoyed <laughs> at <laughs> the thought of having a process and procedure because they look at it a bit like a lot of people look at a budget, like a a, yeah. a, a budget uh, for your finances, right? They think it's restrictive where in all actuality, it's not supposed to be restrictive. It's supposed to be, yeah. okay, here's how we do things, but th- we're just going to put it on paper and in place so that people stick to it. And you can always adjust it down the road. Like there's nothing saying that you can't adjust it. Um, is that kind of the same attitudes that you've run into as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we we had a strap line which was, you know, process plus people equals profit. That's really, really simple, but but it's true. You've got to have the process in place. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I, I, it's a podcast. Went, We've
1: got forty five minutes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I I did some work in Saudi Arabia with with Ford. and um, I went to a big Ford repair, Obviously, mega shops over there. You know, huge sixty thousand square foot monsters, and the manager was probably two weeks away from a nervous breakdown that was that was uh, and that that was serious he was a young a young man well mid 30s um young guy um I appreciate he, that he, thank
1: you I'm 33 he, so you I
2: appreciate he, it. yeah <laughs> he'd been an assistant manager the manager had left because the pressures were too much and he'd been left to to his own devices and he was um he was the sort of guy that didn't trust anyone he, he had to do everything because he knew at that point it would be done so I had I had the first production meeting with him. He'd never had a production meeting before. I said, right, we'll get everybody together at nine o'clock. We're going to have a production meeting. Let's sort the day out. And when I got there, he had literally printed spreadsheets out on his desk of all the performance. And I sat and watched and he went through these, these spreadsheets, how many estimates he'd done, how many cars were waiting, how many what was waiting for parts. Nobody said a word. He did his production team. His line managers, his supervisors, his estimators just sat there and let him talk. And at the end of it, he went, right, off you go then. And I said, what did you get out of that? He said, well, I come in at six o'clock every morning. I print these sheets out. I study them. And then I tell them what what they've done and tell them what they need to do. I said, well, can I do it tomorrow? And he went, yeah, okay. Okay. So I went around to each department. And, and I can thing. already
1: tell he was all, yeah. like fidgeting.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He was like, oh, well, you know, what's going to happen? So I went that, I went to the, the vehicle damage assessor and said, right, this is the information I want from you. You need to bring that tomorrow. I went to the production team and said, I need this information. You bring it tomorrow. I went to the parts people and said, we want to know what outstanding parts are. You bring that tomorrow. And I went, I set the meeting up and I sat in the meeting. And I said, I don't want you to say a word. Not one word. Just sit. And I sat there and it was you know when you sit there and thirty seconds seems like an awful long time when nothing happens. So I sat there for thirty seconds, didn't say a word, didn't say a word. And one of the supervisors says, "Right, are you going to tell us what what to do?" And I went, "No," I said. "You you go on that whiteboard there and you put your figures up and you tell me how you achieve that and, and how you're going to achieve it today." And we got to the we got to the vehicle damage assessors and they brought the sheet and they put it in front of the manager, and walked off. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, well, I've given that to the manager. He's now going to talk to us. So I went, no, no, no. You're going to bring information in every single day. It's your department. It's your responsibility. And when we did that, the the, the manager suddenly, it was like a light bulb moment <laughs> where he went, you haven't come in at half six in the morning. You haven't printed all this thing off. You've given the responsibility to other people and they're responsible for their own departments. So I said, well, would that make your life easier if that happened every day? And he went, I could spend an extra hour and a half with my family. I could have a breakfast, you know, all that stuff added up. So and it, so that was the education. But, you know, that's not that hasn't been unusual in our industry that um, they don't people don't trust their teams around them. They they you know, they and when you've got a team around you and you do everything for it, it will let you. It's like having children when you when you do everything for your children, they don't learn to do it for themselves. And business is about, you're right, business is about process. Get the processes right. Get the right people in the right place. Make sure they're trained and they know what they're doing. And to be brutally honest, from that day on, that guy became a very, very good manager. He moved around the Middle East. He's now one of the best managers in the Middle East. But that's the way he operates now, you know. So I sort of I sort of had 10 days with him. And stopped him from ending up in a mental institution. You know, it was it was that sort of thing. But that's we've. I found that over the years that what you've said is right. There is a there, there is a resistance to change. There's a resistance to people who uh, are not particularly um, good at, at at managing the processes. You know, I i the book the book I refer to when I when I look at this is the Toyota Way. But if you read oh, the Toyota way, yeah. that is that it's all about Kaizen. That's all about that's all about pr- process management, and a body shop is basically a production unit. It, mm-hmm. it, that's all it is. It, it's 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 sh- it runs. It should run on the same process as building something, whether that's McDonald's or Toyota cars. You know, the process needs to be put in place, and if you can get those processes in place and you can manage them. And make sure they stick. That's why a lot of the national body shop chains over here work so well because every single shop is a McDonald's, isn't it? It all works the same, so they are they are better at it. I'm not saying they're absolutely perfect at it, but they're certainly better at it because they put these processes in, and fundamentally people have to follow them. So that's 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 the way. But yeah, it's all about process, Adam. At the end of it, you know, and getting. The, you know, the,
1: the round pegs and the round holes and the square pegs and the square holes.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, have you heard of a writer by the name, I refer to this guy all the time on the podcast. So I know that mm. everybody's just like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> but have you heard of a guy named Jocko Willink by chance?
2: I haven't. No, no, I haven't. I mean, um, the,
1: the one I do know is David, David, Dave Luer, David Luer over there. He,
2: he's, oh, he, uh... he's, he's, uh, he, he, he's, he's, um he's quite a he's quite he's quite famous over here as well for his, his 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 sort of body shop background and some books he's written yeah um can't think of the name of the company now but i haven't i haven't
1: heard of the one you've just mentioned now um well Jocko has nothing to do with the auto body industry
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um he is a former uh, navy seal retired and what you were just talking about that story that you were talking about goes back to one of his uh seven laws of combat which is decentralized command Mm -hmm. and he doesn't say this in the book but i've i've read this enough and i've seen this enough in in some of the other businesses that i've helped is that manager probably learned how to operate that way from operating a very small team of people he probably had say five six people around him that you he could literally go around and tell those people what to do and it was very easy for him to do that because it's very easy to do that with five or six people once you expand that out past roughly about a dozen people, it becomes awful to do that. It is it is so much work to um, keep track of what everybody's doing. And you are working yourself, just like you said, into a mental institution. And so in the book, um, Extreme Ownership is the book that I'm talking about. Jocko talks about this where... Uh, if you would like it i will i will actually buy you a copy so um (laughs) (laughs) um, he talks about how there's two reasons as to why decentralized command is the way to do this one is those people are specialists in what they do so Mm -hmm. in the seals you have a machine gunner you have a sniper you have a recon guy you don't need to be a specialist in recon. You don't need to be a specialist in machine uh, machine gunner. You don't need to be a specialist in a yep. sniper. That's what they went and did training on. So why are you going to sit here and try and tell them how to do their job? Right? Mm-hmm. But the other part of it is. is People understand a plan. So much better. When they're the ones that came up with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. is more bought into that plan. If they were yep. the ones that had a hand in making that plan. And if they have control of their destiny. Because shocker. People don't like being told what to do. No, nope. they they just they just don't on um, across the board. And if that was true, then communism would be all over the world and it would win. But <laughs> it's not. Yeah, <laughs> so, I don't know, um, but, but Adam. I mean, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the
2: one of my tricks of the trade, if you want, as a, as a as a as a business improver, as a consultant in the body shop industry, and and in the, the service world as well, because it all works out. Is I the first thing I used to do. Um, was to go on the shop floor. I'm I'm shop floor. You know, I, I've I've been on the spanners and the, I know I know the language. I know how they talk, but ask them what the problem with the business is. Ask the guys that are that are in the middle of it what's your problem, and you'll probably get two or three little gems that you could change that business in in a week just by talking to the people that are snarled up in the problems. You know, I have to wait at the parts department for twenty minutes every time I get a part. You know, and then you know, or or I have to walk across the workshop to get the welder because the welder's right over there, and it takes me that takes me ten minutes, and you know, all these little these little things that the people that are in the middle of it will tell you and you're right they're all specialists you know my my son is a great example my eldest son he he's never laid a spanner on the car but he's probably one of the best vehicle damage, damage assessors in the world mm. Yeah, but he, but he, uh, but he's he's basically left the knowledge to the experts. So if he wants to know something, he'll go and talk to a panel tech. He'll go and talk to a painter. He'll go and talk to a mechanic. He'll go and talk to the guy that does the ADAS resets. Um, he doesn't need to be able to do the job. He just needs to be able to understand it and build an assessment around it. And and you know, Richard's Richard's now thirty four. Uh, he's he's just transferred to a manufacturer program, but he he came out. Of, he's never laid a spanner on a car.
1: And the interesting thing about that is, is you will pick up certain things and knowledge from osmosis from, you you bring the panel guy over, he looks at it and he says, Oh, you know, this thing is totally screwed and blah, blah, blah. Here's the reasons why. And then if you're smart, you sit there and you kind of write these things down in the background. Right. And then you learn 60 to 70% of what that guy knows. And because of that, then you become a better assessor or over time, it just requires you to open up your mind and your ears and shut up and listen (laughs) to people, right? Um, And so then less and less, you have to bring that person over to actually do stuff because, or do the, help you with the job because you already know 60, 70% of it. And then there's only going to be one out of 10 times or whatever that you actually have to bring that person over and say, hey man, like, this is really weird. Can you help me out with this? And then they're going to be, you know what okay i'm gonna give you a little secret secret dave you know what's great about podcasts people Go. love talking about themselves and they love <laughs> talking about the thing that they know very very well right yeah and that is why podcasting for me anyways is easy because i just sit here and i just want to learn from you that's it like i just want to i just i'm my ears are open i'm ready to learn yeah. right well. and number two you do most of the talking <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes great it's a it's a you have 50 some years of experience that if i allow myself yeah. to just sit here and learn from you yeah i'm going to become better at lots of different things, right? Hey guys, Adam from the podcast. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to ask you a quick favor. If the show has brought you value in some way, would you mind giving us a review and sharing the show? It really helps the show get out there. Also, if you are looking to expand the services that your shop offers and you want to do more than collision work, you should really check out our company Clarity Coat. Clarity Coat is a peelable paint that allows body shops to offer color changes cheaper than a repaint while still looking like real paint. You can also offer clear protection that has no edges and is sprayed instead of laid. Unlike vinyl and PPF, Clarity Coat can be sanded and polished, so you can give your customer the exact look that they are wanting. If you are looking to expand your shop's services, go to ClarityCoat.com and fill out our become an installer form. All right, let's get back to the show.
2: And, that, and that, that's 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 my journey. That's that's where my journey is going now. Is to is to go out and meet young people and. And tell them what a great industry we're in. Uh, it like you can be in any industry in the world, and there's good and bad days. There's good things that happen and bad things that happen. We've got two things that fundamentally are flawed. We've got vehicles and we've got people. So sure. something's going to go wrong, you yeah. know. But now ni- you know, ninety percent of the time, um, I've had a fantastic career. You know, I- I've I've had th- I've got three kids. I've got two grandchildren. I've got two great grandchildren. All be there, and they're all. That's all because I've been in this industry, you know. I've I've had redundancies. I've had good times and bad times, you know. But at the end of the day, it's it's given me a really good uh, a good living, and I've been to some exciting places in the world and done some really great things. And that's all from a 15-year-old that left school on a Friday um, and started work on a Monday and went home to his mum saying, I never want to go back to work again. I hated it, you know. <laughs> so you know, so, so it, it is it is a great industry. So, you know, our our, our project that we're on now, um, which will probably, I've got no plans to retire anytime soon. So, you know, this is a five-year program that we've set up <clears throat> to go and educate the educators and educate young people that there is a career path in our industry. There is room for them there, you know, um, and that's another learning curve. It's really great because I've stopped worrying about the industry's infrastructure. What's going wrong with the industry. We, 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 we know what's going wrong with the industry. We know the problems the world's creating for the industry. We know that fuel costs are causing massive problems for body and paint in particular, you know, so our fuel over here the, the gas and oil over here is quadrupled in price in the last year, so body shops are struggling you know they're starting to shut booths down and only use one booth because they can't afford to turn them on that's 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 a problem that will be resolved it will be
1: resolved It doesn't the seem problem, like right now but it will it, will it doesn't
2: but it will. Our, our industry is incredibly good at getting through bad times. The thing that they've lost, the vision on probably over the last 30 years is getting young people in, is mm-hmm. attracting young people in. And it's hitting us like a tsunami now, you know, not so much. I mean, probably the same in the States. I did have a, I did do a podcast with Ibis last year. Um, so it, it is an issue. It's a global issue. Mm-hmm. But we've had things in the UK. Everybody's had the pandemic that was terrifically disjointing for, for everybody, especially young people. We had Brexit where we came out of Europe, so we don't have the European influx of of, uh, of, of workers. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, that's a big hole that's been what's happened with. I don't know if it's happening in the US, but what's happening in the UK is that people of a certain age through the pandemic have decided to retire early, decided to take the chance um, to say, right, you know, I, I can I can cope. With eighty percent of my salary, I don't need the big books anymore. I can change my lifestyle. Uh, they, you know, they've drawn their pensions and, uh, and retired. So this this whole thing suddenly hit us. Um, and the reason I set School of Thought up was to <clears throat> to take the industry into education and just uh, make sure that that schools and colleges know the industry, that they know the great jobs that are industry in the industry. They know that you know there's over 200 different job roles in our industry, but when you go to a school, they'll only know one, mm-hmm. and that'll be a tech, and it won't be a body tech because they'll have never heard of bodywork. It will only be a mechanic, or a, you know, that'll be the the thing they think about. So you know, we we've got a and big usually job
1: usually they think of those roles as with disdain. Yeah, like why would, oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah why would you want to go and work on something? Well, we've got two things really. We've got parents that that, uh, and we we did a, an event called the British Motor Show. Two years in a row now. It's a bit like um, it's a bit like the you know the the the, um, the major motor shows like the London Motor Show we've had in the past. You have got the same in Detroit. So we've done these shows and we've spoken to moms and dads, and they've come along and said we don't why would we why would we bring our children into this industry? You know it's dirty, it's grubby, the wages are poor, um, and that's all perception, mm-hmm. you know and it's a perception that's been built over the years um we know now that you know the industry is evolving massively it's the fastest growing tech industry in the world you know um you can't just be a a normal old-school uh, old school, old school mechanic or panel tech anymore you've got to have enhanced skills it's a massive it's a great industry for, to be in girls and boys can be in it there's no barriers anymore um but ed- the educators are still um, a little bit ignorant of our industry. So we go and talk to schools and colleges and we bring them up to speed. And it's amazing that once we tell them and we present to the youngsters all the career opportunities, it's like it, it, they are interested. And one of the things that I, I I sat next to a a bit of a dinosaur of the industry a few years ago, and he went Young people aren't interested in cars anymore. You know, I've ridden, I've, I've, I've heard the statistics and, you know, by 2030, they won't want to buy cars. They won't want to drive cars. They won't want to be interested in it. And I can categorically say now by connecting over the last two and a half years with over a hundred thousand young people, they do love cars. They do want to be in our industry. They just need to know how to get here. And that's what, that's our mission now. That, that's what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah. Um everything that you've said, I a hundred percent agree with. Um, and I would say that the, besides the fuel and oil costs, which I mean, ours have gone up a little bit, but you know, we have the, we have a different resources that we can tap into than England does. We're struggling with young kids getting into the industry as well. And there's, thankfully there's a lot of great programs that I've had people on to talk about this in the U S to try and move this forward. But the sentiments on the teacher side still and the educator side still are still there they they i i i feel like they mean well but they're just in in the nicest way to put they're just ignorant they just don't understand and probably i i wonder if one of the biggest drawbacks to the auto body industry in getting people familiar with it is that you don't interact with our industry until something drastic has happened and that really only happens every couple of years and what i mean by that is is why would anybody ever visit an auto body shop unless they were in an accident right so you've already got a bad situation going on where the only reason why you're visiting this place is because you've had a horrendous accident you're annoyed because now you don't have your car and so you already have kind of like a negative connotation towards yeah. that um industry because of that but then you don't have to return back hopefully unless you're an idiot and you wreck your car every <laughs> year um you don't have to return back for another three four five years so you, you only have that one touch right yeah um so people yeah, just aren't right. exposed to our industry as they maybe were it is I mean, you,
2: you, years ago but you look at our yeah and you look at even on the service side service service schedules now are what every two years Every three years, you know, it's stretched and stretched and stretched. So you don't do you don't repeat the visit on the body on the on the body repair side. We have always relied on insurance company relationships because that's the driver for a very high percentage of the work but we don't get walk in traffic like the dealers do in their dealerships so we don't get the public just walking in and saying hi you know or i want to have my car serviced or i want to buy a car they don't we don't get that traffic in the in the body repair industry so you're right but i think where we where we are starting to make some some waves is we're changing the perception of the industry to education So if you go into any school, it'll be the same. We've we've just launched a a program in southern India um, in a school. And if you go into the the school, there's a perception that you don't need to be academic to be in our industry. Academia, you know, the, the academia route is let's get them to College of Further Education. Let's get them to university. Let's get them a degree. You don't really need that if you want to be a technician in our industry. And our industry now is so high tech. And when you look at apprenticeships now, you're learning more on a two or three year apprenticeship than you'll learn on a degree course. And it's high tech. And that's the stuff that we are finding a route into schools with young people interested. But if you I don't know whether you have careers fairs or jobs fairs over there, but we have we've have them over here all the time. And the competition for those young people is so great. We can go to a school that does a careers fair, and we can have thirty or forty different companies from thirty or forty different industries competing for those youngsters mm-hmm. and we're finding that we are the only ones from automotive that are there interesting, yeah, so and it, there's a few little pockets of people that are starting to do a little bit more, but when i, when I, we, I we we have apprentice week in February. We did, we did uh, for five days, I went to five different schools uh, and did five different careers fairs. And I was the only one from automotive. And that was various parts of the UK, not just, not just close to home. So we've got a big job to do. But when we get in front of these young people and tell them, it's really encouraging. You know, the other thing we did for, a, for a, one of our body repairers locally, we organized an open day. So we invited two schools to bring 25 youngsters to the, to the site uh, Saturday afternoon, so it was in their own time. We put some demonstrations on, and I was doing airbrushing and all sorts of stuff, you know, just showing these youngsters. Um, we got 17 young people that wanted to sign up as apprentices. That's awesome. Just on that day. Now, he could only take four, but he's got four young people that will start in May, June, that are new to the industry. We are now placing the rest into businesses and around the area. So we know from experience that if we get in, if our industry gets in front of these young people and shows them what it's all about, they'll come.
1: Are you finding that they're more interested in it because they are working with their hands or is it because they, it's, it's because it's cars.
2: It's, it's, we, we had this dilemma, which was when we started this, we had a dilemma and somebody said to me, how do we make our industry sexy? You know, it was like, what have we got? And it's and, and you sit back and you think yeah, you know, you've got that question, but then you look at all the, the but the tech is helping. So the tech's really helping, you know, I stand in front of youngsters and the first thing I'll say is name an electric car and they'll to a man, to a girl, they'll go Tesla. And they'll know, you know. So tech's helping. The the tech is really helping. But when you talk to youngsters about, you know, we need youngsters that can uh, operate a laptop that can that can reprogram vehicles that can do ADAS, and it, they really, really are interested in it. Yeah. Um, but then when you start to talk to them about the body repair skills, that opens their eyes because nobody's ever talked to them about that before. You know, you know, young we, we've got young um, young female painters out there that are part of our program, and we say, look, girl, this isn't this is a video of a young girl painting a car, and the, and the girls are going, we didn't know any of this. But not just the girls, the teachers and parents know nothing. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You know, that word ignorance is a horrible word, but it's actually relevant when you when when schools don't know us, you know, they'll know what they'll know what a mechanic is, sort of, but they won't know anything else. So we did. a We, we got involved in an organization, two organizations over here. If you, you, you've obviously got STEM over there, haven't you? I think it's STEAM yes. over there, isn't it? science, technology, STEM. engineering, yeah, STEM over there we've got 17 stem hubs in the uk and we connected we contacted them in 2019 and not one of them had got a connection with automotive not one of those stem hubs had got a connection and they get they get nearly 3 million hits on their website a year for youngsters trying to find careers and then we we got uh, we were put together with another organisation called youth employment uk they get another 4 million hits from youngsters trying to find careers not just youngsters mums and dads and, and careers advisors we our industry was invisible
1: there wasn't anything on that you could find which a is really interesting sorry to interrupt yeah which yeah it's yeah. really interesting because stem is science technology engineering and mathematics right that's our industry well <laughs> the two of those are technology and engineering like yeah, yeah. i don't know a crazy crazy thought here but cars are pretty engineered right so well, you take and we've got science now you're taking hydrogen cars now that's science oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's science, science
2: cool. you know um so so you know, there are there are core skills that we're looking for. Um, but, yeah, we, we we sort of got eight million, eight million hits on two websites. And if you wanted to find a, a career on there, you got Mechanic, which was buried in engineering. Literally, you couldn't find it. So we we basically, Julie Ely, my co-founder and I, we, we purchased a portal on one of these websites um, and that's now the, automotive, the only automotive portal in the UK that, that go, goes through these websites that the youngsters can now find us and find the industry. And we're developing more and more. I mean, we're self-funded. We're a community interest company. We're not for profit, um, but we're slowly but surely making, making the right um, noises and talking to the right people. We did the research early on that, that was we have to connect with education. And that's that that's anywhere in the world. If you can get our industry, the body repair industry to connect with education in some way, shape or form and educate the educators, we'll start to see youngsters that will be more interested. You know, I've got youngsters over here that say, Yeah, we watch West Coast customs and you know and, and, and pimp my ride and all that. Yeah, they 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 watch this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um that they know it. So it's in it's an interesting concept and we you know, we we're, we're sort of we're we're a half years into it with COVID in the middle, um, so it's 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 a bit of a it's a passion now, um, yeah. and that that's that's the driver
1: behind it. Uh, what's interesting is we had Rachel on from Ireland and you forced... that paint, by Rach. That's yeah, paint by rage.
2: That's Rachel. she's one of my
1: ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. I figured that <laughs> I was starting to draw the the connection <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, but when we had her on, she said that. Before she was in the industry, the way that she thought cars got repaired was they just ordered the panels and they were (laughs) color matched and they just fitted them onto the car. And then that was it. She's like, I had no idea that, you know, there was an actual art and skill into doing this kind of repair. And I bet I would be willing to bet that if you were to go to most of the young people that are out there, high school aged, and ask them, well, how do you think a car gets repaired? Paint and body wise, anyways, absolutely yeah. none of them would have any idea no. the skill level that it takes to repair something back to looking like factory.
2: We 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 we're sort of we were always classed when we were younger. When I was younger, we were classed as motor motor engineers. That's that if you looked at a at an old um, garage in the UK through the fifties and sixties, it was motor engineers. That's what we were classified as. And then it got sort of declassified over the years to motor mechanic, but when you look at the technology and and, the, and 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 the craft that you need now in body and repair to put things back together the way they should be, we're in, we, we've got we're bringing new engineers into our world, not not just technicians. These are engineers. You know as well as I do. You you take a car back to chassis and you start messing around with that. You can't be a you know you're welding, you're joining, you're riveting, you're bonding. It's all it's it's a it's a huge skill set now that we need to put these cars back together, and then we've got on top of that now we've got all the you know all the ADAS and all the computer systems. So our you call them stripped down, don't you call them stripped down in in the, in the US? That they're, they're no longer stripped down. These are highly qualified technicians to work on modern day cars. Yeah, you know, sure. um, so it's 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 all changing, and when you start to talk to youngsters about about these skills um i always call painters prima donnas because they're always the ones that they're always the ones that claim the glory don't they you know it's like wow look at my look at my paint job you know they don't they're not bothered about what's underneath it but but that's a skill in itself because that's changing you know we've yes. gone from cellulose to waterborne to fast drying you know we've got you know, we've got CIMAC technology now, you know, the fast-drying, gas-drying. UVs, UV's getting more and more use in the industry. Um, it, it's a massive industry, and that learning curve is so great for these youngsters. Um, but but it's a career path. Well, I say to the youngsters over here, you're not going to be earning the big bucks for probably five or six years. You know, you're just not oh, going God. to get it. But once you're mid-20s, you can be earning big money by having your skill sets and being qualified. And then, uh, you know, and, and that's the attraction. So perception, you know, sort of destroying that perception that moms and dads and teachers and careers advisors have got of our industry. It, it's sort of, we do, we do parent groups now. You know, we go out and meet parents and say, right, we'll tell you about the industry. You know, that's the way we do it. And we get into other groups. We get into the scout movement, you know, because these scouts are, these scouts have got hand skills because the scout movements, you know, makes them make things, don't they? Mm-hmm. So we're getting in we get work with the scout movement now and, and try and find youngsters that way but then trying to find maybe we've got a big gap of people between 18 and 24 that are either out of work or looking for a change of job so we've got the opportunities we've just got this pool of people and we've got to get to them
1: before the other industries do <laughs> you know yeah. that's that's the secret the, and and you're so, you're so right that you know going into healthcare or going to be a lawyer or whatever is the thing that's pushed there's plenty of techs mechanic plumbers electricians whatever that i know that are making just as much money as any lawyer doctor that i know yeah Um, absolutely and i don't know what it's like over in there but you try you try and get a
2: plumber or a builder to come around to your house you know they're like the old expression is they're like rocking horse poo you can't find them you know they're just not around because they're earning so much money they're fully
1: booked yep you know that's yeah where i'm living um so the place where i live is uh, sioux Falls, south dakota and uh we've experienced probably we're the fastest growing city in the midwest for like the last five years running or something like that and in in the midwest you your building season is only about seven to nine months long you can only build houses or you can only build stuff for about seven or nine months and then winter hits and then you've got to shut everything down right yeah well in those 7 to 9 months it is a gold mine for every <laughs> plumber every electrician every builder they you can't you cannot find someone that's in the trades industry in those 7 to 9 months it's just good luck trying to find a plumber and but what's interesting is that is the, also their greatest downfall which is um if they could just be a little bit more organized on that front end answering back phone calls text messages emails they would just literally never run out of work but yeah you're right like these yeah. guys are making so much money from doing new builds and everything like that which is which is categorically easier than repairing old stuff oh yeah um so why would they ever bother doing anything else but but, but again that, they the,
2: the the trades are suffering the same as as our trade is yes. suffering is is encouraging new people in you know we, we we're starting to work with building and construction over here. My, my daughter in law in works for a major construction company in the UK. And they can't they can't find the the the, the skilled people that they need on building sites to to bring them in because yep. they're just not here because they haven't got that transition. So we'll be launching a school of thought for um building and construction um probably nice. at back end of this year. Lovely. And do do the same with them and go into schools and say, look, look, these jobs are here. It's not just it's not just working on a cold, freezing building site. You know, these are hand skills that will see you through to your life. And that's the one bit of advice I took from my father. He said, get a trade and you'll never be out of work. Yeah. <laughs> so and we've just said that ourselves. So, so yeah, it, it, it is a it's a great time. It's a great, you know, but I think more people now, more of the major um, companies in our industry need to step up. And support programs like School of Thought, like anybody that is that is trying to promote our industry. You know, the vehicle manufacturers have got to have got to take some responsibility. You know, they've got to invest in it because they tend to invest in themselves. So you'll say a vehicle manufacturer has got a great apprenticeship program but it'll be for them it'll be for ford or for chrysler or you know it won't be it won't be a a promotional program for the industry we've got major corporations the insurance companies who rely on us to keep them going to keep their customers mobile should invest back in us you know not just in themselves not just not just be insurance companies giving out money are you well, are you crazy <laughs> well we have got one instance, two instances over here where our, our apprentice fund, it, it, there's a levy over here. So 2% of the profit for major companies, the government takes off them in a tax and goes into a levy pot. And they have to use that for apprenticeships. Oh, but they're no, allowed so. to donate 20% of that back to, to um, companies to bring more apprentices on. So we've got two or three insurers that are now doing that. Um, so, yeah, you know, yeah, we've got the old adage that insurance companies are in it for themselves, but they need to step up because we, we put a we put a strap line out um, just before COVID that, you know, without automotive, the world stops, but without new talent, automotive stops. And then COVID hit and just proved the point because, <laughs> you, know, yep. you know, irrespective of all those other trades. If the wheels had stopped turning on the delivery vans and the food delivery vans, and through COVID, and we were responsible for keeping them going, whether that's whether they crashed or whether they needed service and repair, we 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 kept the world rolling through COVID. In reality, yeah. and I think everybody needs to recognise that. You know, we're now talking to the Department of Transport and saying, you know, transport's transport, and that's all right. You throw loads and loads of money at it, but you realise that we keep the wheels moving, so you need to invest in us. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm on my, on my, my, my soapbox at that point, but oh,
1: you know, that's, I, a whole, that's the whole point of a podcast. <laughs> you know, I
2: think, you know, I think the industry, the industry as a whole now needs to take some responsibility to try and do something about the biggest problem that it's going to have in the next 10 years. And that's, that's people.
1: And yeah. I will, I'm going to make a guess here that you would agree with me on this, but if you don't feel free to disagree with <laughs> yeah. me because I'm happy to have a conversation about it, but yeah. One of the things that blue collar we call them— uh, sorry, white collar jobs have yep. over blue collar jobs. I'm not sure if you have the same saying over there, but yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, corporate jobs and everything like that. One of the things that they have a big advantage over us on is the fact, for the last 20, 30 years, they have invested, usually across the board, pretty heavily into leadership programs, yep. um, and management programs and everything like that. Now, that's not saying that those companies are good at it, but Again, by osmosis you pick up a few tricks here and there and you become a better organization because of the fact that you they're dumping this kind of money into you. Yeah. And I think probably one of the one of the other problems that a lot of shops or trades are going to have to just deal with reality on is the fact that categorically across the board you guys are pretty awful at handling people. Like you're <laughs> just not great at it. Yeah. And so you can fix the pipeline one way, which is you're doing a great job of like making the industry known and getting these people in here. But then they get into the industry and they're like, no, actually this sucks because Steve, the manager is an asshole and like, I hate working for him. Well, you also have to fix that part of it because why would anybody ever stick around? If this part right here, you can't. And I, in your conversations with young people, I talk with young people a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could probably refer to me as a young person because I'm 33. Thank you again. You are, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're <laughs> you a ba- you're a baby enough, Adam. You <laughs> cannot pay me enough money to work for someone who's an asshole. It's not going to happen. I, I will just, I will just be like, all right, I'm out. See you later. And you can call that lazy if you want to. I, no. I really don't care. You're I mean, you, um, you, we're we're all talking about
2: the Z generation, aren't we? Generation Z. That, that's yep. the latest buzz, isn't it? I've just written an article about Generation Z it goes now in our little magazine. Um they're different. They're, 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 the young people today are different, totally different, and they won't take. They won't stand for nonsense. They'll just move on, yep. and that's what they do. But you're right, and we've 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 got a program um that we'll be launching. <clears throat> with a major um body repair group. It, it, it's gonna be slow burn. We've got connectivity with about a thousand body shops in the UK, the, the premiums. Wow. And we're gonna we're gonna be launching what we call a legacy program for them. But the very first thing will be to do a health check of their business to make sure they're fit for purpose for young people. And that's 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 critical. And before we even sign them up, we've got to make sure that they are ready and willing to change their business to suit young people. And you're you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that, that that's bothered me for years is that we encourage these young people with wonderful, wonderful, shiny, sexy, brilliant adverts, and then we put them into a into a 1960, 1970, 1980 shop, um, which which they will soon um, fall out of love with and go and find. And they will they will go to McDonald's and Burger Flip for a, you know for a few dollars an hour, or they will end up in a in a warehouse. You know so the biggest disruptor we've got in the UK is Amazon. Because mm-hmm. Amazon pay great money, they take young people in. You know, they give them lots and lots of benefits, um, and they, they, you know, they're on things like continental shifts, so you can work three, you know, you work three twelve-hour shifts and have the rest of the week off, and all those things that our industry has been very, very bad at adopting over the years. So yeah, you're right, one hundred percent. You're right, Adam, that we can't bring young people into old tech, old, old tech and old businesses. The businesses need to step
1: up and evolve themselves. What we is can that- help them what what is the what is the one thing that you're hearing from young people that um, they want out of a job? because to me, the number one thing i'm I'm not hearing is money. They don't care about money. What's the thing that you're hearing from them that I really uh, wish you know I would love to work for a place that's like this or whatever yeah. well, there's,
2: there's, well,
1: there's two things that
2: influence that two, we work with i'm'm I'm an ambassador for an organization called Tech. um, and they they they, they polled parents in about a thousand schools in the UK uh, and children, and it worked out that ninety-six percent of of the um, children said that their parents were the were the influences in their career choices.
1: Okay, crazy. So <laughs>
2: well- There's the one. They listen to mum and dad, they li- or their uncles and aunties, um, uh, and these are these are these are young youngsters from from thirteen to fifteen at that critical time when they need the advice because of next steps so there's that one and then we've got youngsters that that come along and have this misconception oh i don't want to work on cars it's all about you know it's all about working on cars and we go hang on a minute you know yes it is but do you realize how high tech these cars are and once we start to talk to them about the tech then they have their eyes light up a little bit and then we relate to it as more of an engineering role because when i go to schools and colleges i get lots and lots of requests saying i want to be an engineer I want to be an engineer and that's girls and boys. we want to be engineers. They don't quite know what an engineer is, but yeah. they want to be one. and the other one that's that's starting to grow um a little bit more over here is is the apprenticeship route. so mm. we yeah, the teachers are telling us about apprenticeships now. we don't really know what they are so so again, it's that doubt that they've got in their mind. So once you clarify stuff for them it it, it opens their eyes a bit and then they can make a they can make a concerted decision of whether they want to come in or not so you know they don't know our apprenticeships have a a level we call it a level four maths and english so they have to have literacy and numeracy to to qualify for it to get into your apprenticeship they don't know so we're we're constantly teaching them that so they want they want they want to work they want a career that's what they're looking for. They, they, and that's what their moms and dads are telling them that they should look for. They look for a career. Don't just look for a, a job that's going to last you 10 minutes or, you know, you're now going to school. You're going to leave school at 16 or 18. You're going to be in work now until you're 60, 65, 70, you know. So it's a career path you're looking for. So the one thing that really, really helps us is people like me and you that have got a, had a career and got a career in our industry and we've got a journey. And when you start to tell them the journey you've had just by start that start point, then they start to get they will start to get them in more. but yeah, they, they don't ask about money but when, when I, well, the younger ones do, the thirteen year old say, "How much do you earn and what car do you drive, sir?" That's what they normally tell you. So I say, "I'm not going to tell you how much I earn, but I drive a mustang, and that that's all oh, you might. have a mustang. Ah, uh, yeah, it's only a little one. It's only the it's only the EcoBoost one. But yes, I've got a Mustang, and it's bright yellow, and it's a drop head. So you know, and the kids love it because I I, I take it to schools, and they have photo shoots with it. Huh. So it's really really brilliant. But so what, we, we what year? One, what year is it? It's a 2018. 2018. Wow. So it's a new shape. So it's great. And I mean, we took we took a Tesla and the Mustang to a school, to a special school in in South Wales, and we said, right, you can have a picture taken with a Tesla or the Mustang, and none of them wanted a picture taken with a Tesla. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know? it's, so, it's so it's so interesting my business partner um is over in london as well yeah and it's really interesting to me that chargers challengers mustangs camaros yeah. everything like that right like that's that is the car that that he thinks are cool right yeah, yeah. obviously yeah. you know he's he loves like the high-end porsches and everything like that but it's so interesting because over here they're just they're just everywhere like you know we just have so many of them over here and uh yeah i mean they're cool but like it's just kind of one of the i don't know it'd be like you seeing a a range rover defender or something like that like (laughs) it's just like it's just everywhere so yeah to us it's it's so interesting to me that mustangs are (laughs) Or you know, Camaros or whatever are so interesting yeah. over there.
2: As soon as they started, as soon as they built them in right-hand drive, they went mad over here for them. So it's <laughs> it was really good, really good. But yeah, but you know, the question really is, you know, the, the youngsters—they just want to, they just want a career. They want to step into something where they can, where they can learn their trade, where they can earn some money. They they are interested in money because that's what their peer groups are doing. Yeah. So they can earn some money, they can learn a trade, and they they've got progression. So. You know, and, and I always say to them, the job you start with won't be the job you finish with. You know, you will have this or career. It path. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be. But, but, you know, you will have this career path. And as long as you've got to just taking my, you know, I, I I wanted to be off the shop floor by I 30. I was. I then ended up as a workshop foreman for a big fleet company. Um, then I moved into into distribution. So I worked in you know in parts distribution. Then I moved into paint and refinish distribution. Learning the trade. I've been in I've been in car sales, truck sales, van sales. Just learning learning my my craft all the way through. And then hit the hit the it, it, it hit my sort of a golden era when I got the job with Ford. And twenty one years later, and I stepped out of that um, December the thirty first, twenty nineteen. I, I stepped away from it because. I'd had 21 years of it, and I wanted to do
1: something else. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. Well, Dave, um, we have reached the end of the hour, and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Dave, we could probably go by. on for we could probably go on for another hour of this, right? <laughs> <bit. laughs> um, where can people find out more information about you, um, what you have going on, um, all these kinds of things? Yeah, we've got I'm, we've, we've we've got the website, which is um,
2: www.schoolofthought.info. Um, and anybody can connect with me on email. If you want to pass my email details out, Adam, that, that's, that's, that's great. I, I have no problem at all with that. You found me on LinkedIn, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, we, we're, we're, we're reachable anywhere, but through the website is one. Um, and through uh, direct email, um, yeah, we, we're contactable and it's great. It'd be great to talk to people all over the world about this, this problem and, and you know, it'd be nice to talk to people that are doing something about it because I'm not I'm not ashamed to steal people's ideas and adopt them and move them forward if they're if they're really going to work, you know.
1: Yeah, awesome <laughs> guys. Go check out Dave. Um, I will put his website and email info in the description below. Um, Dave, thank you again for taking time out of your day to do this. Really do appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Adam. It's a pleasure. And um, stay out of the snow.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, lovely, lovely to meet you. Cheers
0: now. You've been listening to the Auto Body Podcast, presented by Clarity Coach. Our passion is to talk to and about anyone in the industry, from painters, body guys, manufacturers, and anyone in between. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, visit us at ClarityCoat.com and find us on Facebook and YouTube at Clarity Coat. See you next time on the Auto Body Podcast.